The sermon tonight is from Matthew 11, verses 20 through 30. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on yourself and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Sometimes I try to capture, when I'm reading these stories, sometimes I like to capture it, see if I can, as an exercise of imagination. To try to imagine what it's like to hear this and not know anything. To, to hear it fresh, to hear, hear it on my pop. Like, what, is there anything in that, what we just read that's kind of offensive? Did you, did you hear anything offensive? If you didn't, it's because you're not listening. It's funny because this is, actually, these few verses, I, it feels like Jesus is, Jesus is one of those people who does, you know, 10 disturbing things before breakfast kind of person. You know, like, he's the kind of person who upsets common expectations. I don't know if you noticed it here, but in, in those few 10 verses, he's already talked about election. You guys remember election, the idea that God chooses who he reveals himself? Brought that up. I don't know if you noticed this, but he made it pretty clear. And I don't even know what to do with this. I'm not even going to touch this tonight as an item of theological investigation because I have no idea what to do with it. But did you hear? Jesus says, you know, if I go to Sodom, they all be okay. That means God knows. He knows what it will take for certain people to come to him, and he doesn't do it. That's a big deal. Are you disturbed yet? Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. I mean, these are in and out kind of declarations. You know, Bethsaida's out. <laughs> are you out? Are you in? This is really difficult stuff. In other words, I think that some of the, and, I, and, and maybe. If we hear it fresh, we can see why people wanted to kill him. Christ starts saying things, doing things, being a person that of unparalleled majesty. Jesus just said to a whole city, you will stand or fall based on how you reacted to me. That's pretty out there. That's a pretty bold thing to say about yourself, isn't it? That somehow everything either comes to you or goes, you're like the scent, you're the... And that's what, I, that's, what, that's what I always get out of these texts. It's, 
I just, it's Christ's greatness. He wears, he wears his majesty like an old comfortable coat. He just puts it on and it's just like he wears it so easily. He walks in majesty. He, he thinks in majesty. Now I just want to fall down and worship. I, uh, I've been thinking about this lately. Can preaching be, is it possible for our preaching to be an act of worship? Let's hope so. I want to pray. Father, um, I pray for the unction and the, the invasion and the work and the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, I, and I'm only praying for myself right now, Father, let alone everybody else here. Because we all need it. We ask for you to give what you talk about in this text. The way you give understanding to little children. For it's your great delight to do that. Would you take Father time tonight to be delighted <laughs> to reveal to us your grace, your mercy, and even your judgments. In the name of Jesus we ask this. I, I ask you to forgive the sins of the one who speaks. There are so many. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I, uh, there's something about Jesus that's just so majestic. And, and the way he positions himself, the way he talks about himself, in this, in this context, for example, he's like a, I, I picture him like a hinge. A hinge, like a door. And what Jesus is saying is, here, take all of creation, take all of existence, take heaven and hell, take your loyalties, take your identity. It all swings on me. I'm the hinge that holds creation together. I'm the, the way he, he is so exalted. And I, you know, one of the things I, I hope for in, 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 in preaching the word is to so place before you the grandeur and majesty of Jesus that you too desire to worship him. It's kind of funny. I was looking at the wrong notes wondering, why does it say that? He is the hinge. Now, I want to explore God, Christ's grace in this text in three ways. And what he talks about here. First, I want to talk about the whole counsel of God. You ever heard the expression of the whole counsel of God? Because I think it's here in this text. I think a sense of it is here. So first, I want to look at that, that panoramic view. And then I want to, I want to look then at, at judgment in particular as balanced against grace in particular. And that's, that's, that's our journey tonight. That's our journey through the text. So I want to begin with that, uh, begin with this kind of just jumping right into us, that Christ has a grace for us in the whole council. Now, I don't know if you noticed this. Did anybody notice what a rough transition it was between verse 24 and 25? Anybody else notice this? I mean, we know that most of these were collected together, right? They were collected. They're sayings and stories of Jesus that were gathered together. And then organized and collated in the, in, in the books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now those writers are very clever sometimes. And one of the things that Matthew does here is you, he puts together those two ideas. You notice how radically different the first part of this text is from the second part? It begins with what? Woe to you, woe to you, Corinthians, woe to you, Bethsaida. Uh, the, the language there in the Greek is not even a, woe doesn't even say it. Um, 
here, this is actually what it is in Greek. It's not a word. It's ooh-ay! Ooh-ay! It's a cry of the heart. It's a cry of the heart. It's a, it's a shout of, of compassion. It's a cry of emotion. It's a cry of the heart, of the soul. As he pronounces judgments. But then look, look, at, look, at, look at verse 25. Look how it begins. At that time he said, I thank you, Father. Isn't that a switch? Now, what do we do when the Bible, when the Word of God changes gears that quickly? Like, like or one, one moment, you're all going to hell, and the next moment, we're all going to heaven. Like that kind of jarring, like judgment or grace. Which one is it? I, and there's a certain kind of, do you, you see it in the text? And I think there's a certain genius about that. And actually, what's going on there is something you'll see in Isaiah. You'll see it in Jeremiah. There's, a, there's an internal logic to the prophetic witness. And in the prophetic, prophetic witness, grace and judgment always go hand in hand. Why don't you follow that again? You just happens all the time in the prophets. prophets sorry. Isaiah and Jeremiah do it too. It, well, all of a sudden they'll be going along and it'll be kind of harsh. It'll sound like God just wants to lay waste of everything. And then out of nowhere, there'll be this beautiful, come to me, my, my bride. Come with you. I'll kiss you with the kisses of my I'll, Come now. I want to love you and take you in and, and protect you and cherish you and, and, and make sure you never run away. And then it goes back to judge. And, and there's this seamlessness. That's what I'm kind of getting at here. A seamlessness between grace and judgment. And I think that's the way it should be in the whole council. What do I mean? You can't have one without the other. And, and let's, let's, what do we do in Christianity? I see this whole time with churches, with pastors, with denominations. We tend to, we tend to go towards one or the other based upon our personalities, perhaps, you know, or perhaps our politics, or, or different, different, different experiences we've had. And what do we do? We tend to go towards preferences. I, like maybe you even think as you're sitting here, well, Chris, you, you must be one of those fire and brimstone guys. Is that your personality? Yeah, actually it is. So, and I have to constantly curb that back because my personality is not the same as the Holy Spirit, is it? On the other side, it, 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 there's, this, there's this, not only is there, sometimes we, we tend to pick per, certain theologies based upon our personalities or our preferences. Sometimes we pick certain theologies because they're just more pleasing to us. Um, I see this a lot in here in uh, San Francisco. Uh, what I would call a supermarket religion. You know, just imagine like Christianity. Imagine all the faiths are like a big supermarket. And, and I see these people, even Christians do this all the time. They're walking the aisles, you know, oh, there's grace. Oh, a box of grace. Yeah, give me that. I can't reach it. Oh, I got the grace. Oh, I got a box of grace. You know what? No, I don't like that judgment aisle. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go. Do you do this? Do you walk through the scriptures or walk through God's truth? And you tend to pick or you tend to choose or you tend to focus on what you like, on what you want, on what reflects you. Or perhaps, at the worst case scenario, you shape a gospel that doesn't offend anybody out there. Oh, wait, let's, let's, let's tailor and, and let's make sure that we, we don't include judgment when we speak of grace. I want to encourage you. 
give up, give up, give up, give up that. Give it, give it all up. And trust God's whole counsel. Trust all his words. I mean, trust them all from beginning to end. Trust the whole counsel, and he'll guide you in wisdom. You know, it's interesting. The whole counsel of God contains paradox and contrary, and it embraces all of the vicissitudes and all of the ironies and all the difficulties of our lives. They're in the whole counsel. And one of the advantages, for example, I find, I know, uh, I know that uh, John has this practice. I don't know if Drew's done it, but preaching through a book of the Bible, one of the reasons it's good to do that sometimes is it keeps you, or through the lectionary can do this, it keeps you from picking what you like. Picking what you like. Picking what you want. Right now I'm picking sermons I like because it's the summer. So that's just the way. I'm picking texts I like. So there. But, but regularly, the whole council. Maybe you think this is beyond you. Maybe you think, Chris, I, you know, you say this and I, I can't interpret the Bible the way you do or other people do. I can't get it. It doesn't work for me. But did you see what Jesus was thankful for? Anybody notice what Jesus was thankful for? What was he so thankful for? That Jesus shows his truth, God shows his truth to people who didn't deserve it. God loves sinners. And the great thing about his grace is he gives it away graciously. Isn't that wonderful? Like, he's not just gracious. He's gracious as he's gracious. Praise him. <laughs> he is gracious in the very... The way he reaches out to us in love. There's already grace. Because what Jesus is praising God for, what's the, exact, what's the exact verbiage right there? What does it say? I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding. Okay, first he's thanking him that smart people are dumb. And we all love it when smart people don't figure stuff out. Don't come on, we all like it, don't we? When smart people can't figure stuff out. And Jesus is thankful for that. And revealed them to little children. So what does this mean? An understanding of grace and judgment and the whole counsel of God is, is there for, for the asking. You're a kid? You can understand this better than me. I, that sounds weird. sounds strange. But I, I believe this. Not only do I believe it, I see it. Our Bible study, we've seen this, haven't we, Carol? In our Bible study, every week, we, we intentionally pray earnestly that the Holy Spirit would reveal something fresh to everybody. And you know what I love about that Bible study? The insights are amazing, aren't they? Aren't they remarkable, Carol? Everybody has been in that Bible study can give testimony to it. It's amazing. That's because God gives revelation away to little children, to those who ask. <laughs> I love this. Oh, the whole council is so available to you. He's invite, God's inviting you. Stop giving up these, these buffet versions of Christianity and picking and choosing. And ask, because he reveals. Praise him. All right, so a whole council. I, I'm, I'm striking for balance here, right? Well, all right, so let's begin. Let's, let's now turn to the grace that is in God's judgments. Let's take a look here. Grace for the sin behind the sin. Did you know the Bible talks about this a lot? Now, a lot of us, a lot of us, a lot of us when we first come to Christ, uh, a lot of us by nature are, are, are legalists. And what I mean by that is we're... I'll give you an example. I remember when... My, children are like this. Children are great legalists. I don't know if you guys have this in your house, but they're very good at parsing exactly what you said and exactly what the tense was and what you... Ex, you know, and it's, it's maddening. You know, I remember one time with my son. 
I'm telling him, I told you to take out the trash. And I remember he said, Dad, you said take out the trash, but you didn't say today. You ever have kids do this to you? That was implied. You are, you know, it doesn't matter, you know. And, and kids, and they parse, and they parse. You know. We do this with God. We do God all the time. I've never killed. I'm so innocent of the sin of murder. And then Jesus comes along with his scalpel to get at that, right? Oh, no, oh, no, don't, don't, don't make a mistake here. If you've hated, if you've hated, you're guilty of murder. There's, there's, deeper, there's, deeper, there's deeper features to your sin than you think. Deeper features. Now, I was thinking about this in terms of this text. What's the sin of Bethsaida, Chorazin? What's the, what's the crime? And what's this reference to Sodom? What's this reference to Sodom? Let's take a look at that one first. Let's look, let's look at Sodom first. When I first came out here, I was greeted by some very, very conservative people in the uh, East Bay. They're very sweet, sweet believers. And I remember sitting at their table. It was quite a scene. I don't know if you've ever been in this kind of scene before, but these people were, um, they were very conservative of tradition. They had no TV, no, no, no very few uh, modern conveniences. The kids had all had, had handmade clothes. They seemed like they were Mennonite or Amish kind of thing, but they lived in the neighborhood. They lived in a subdivision in Livermore. And uh, when I went there, all their clothes were handmade, and they had like eight children. And I remember, because I met, the reason I met them is I, I, uh, they, were, uh, they were helpful to me getting out here. They went to talk to me about planting a church in San Francisco. Oh, they were excited to talk to me about it. We're sitting at the table. It was really, it was such a weird scene, guys. Their, their one daughter, she's eight years old, just kept holding my hand the entire time I was there. I just couldn't figure out what to do about it. And it's just like, all the kids were talking to me, and it was like, it was just a weird scene. I was sitting at this table, and they're all talking to me about my, my, this girl never stopped holding my hand, this eight-year-old girl, the entire time I was standing there talking to her dad. I'm like, okay, this is really odd. And then he says, He's talking to me about the ministry, and he goes, you know, I guess I'm concerned about you moving down there amongst the sodomites. That is not a word used in the Bible, by the way. The word sodomite, sodom as an adjective, like that's not, not in the Bible. It doesn't exist. That was a, that's a made-up term in our Western culture. I am... Uh, I was so, I was so, if this happens to you, when you get caught off garbage, you're sitting there going, well, what did he just say? And I'm just like, and I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do? Do I, and then by, before I even get out, and he goes, and, and do you get along with Orientals? And I'm like, wait a second, you can't say that. I just finally said, you can't say that about people. And he goes, oh, you're one of those people? I'm like, no, 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 it's not about, trust me, you can't use that word to refer to people. That's to refer to furniture and rugs. Oh, well, sure. The reason I bring that up is that there has been, in the history of, of, of religion, an easy target on things like Sodom. You know, called the Sodomites. Well, we can, if we want. I don't, I don't think we should. In fact, I'm going to insist we don't. Do you know that Isaiah brings up Sodom? So does Jeremiah. So does Ezekiel. So does Amos. So does Zephaniah. Now, 
We're mostly adults here. But uh, we all know that the sin of Sodom in the Bible, at least in good part, is homosexual gang rape, right? Pretty awful. Never, sorry, never once does a prophet use the reference to the land of Sodom to confront sexual sin. Not one time. Instead, you know what it becomes? It becomes like the archetypal kind of evil place. And even in our context, even in our immediate context in the city we live in, that action I just described is condemned. That's a horror. Nobody's supporting that. But you know what the prophets do? They use it to confront people who think they're good. Who think they're not that bad. And that is exactly what Christ is doing here. Did you catch what he's doing? He's like, I know how you all like to think that there are sodomites out there, people of unparalleled evil. But if you have stood before the Lord Jesus Christ and not accepted his message of grace, why? He cries. That's what Christ cries out. So Sodom becomes this, this turnabout, you see, to take self-righteousness and turn it on its head. And, and, and heaven forbid us as a community of faith that we have picked on particular sins or objectified them as more wicked than others. Or if, if we're going to do that, let's at least get it straight. The great crime of this generation is indifference to Jesus Christ. Apathy. I'm not grace. And you know what that means? You know what that means, don't you? It means it's an attack on the church. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and, 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 and uh, what was this? Capernaum, they're all religious places. They're all, they're all like Christianized cities. They're all religious people we're talking about. They were, these were pagans. These are religious people. And Christ uses this term to offend People who think they're good. To tell them that what they think is their goodness is just as evil as the evilest thing they could conceive. <sighs> but, you know what I hear here? Why? I don't hear callous contempt. Do you? I hear brokenheartedness over self-righteousness. And I want to tell you something. That's a wonderful, wonderful Savior right there who loves Chorazin and loves Capernaum and loves these places enough to tell them, to warn them, and to cry from his heart so they could finally hear the gospel. Perhaps. They might finally see themselves as no better than anybody who ever walked the streets of Sodom in its heyday. I'm here to tell you, I ain't no better than any of those folks. How about you? How about you? 
If you're come seeking the grace of Jesus and hope for your salvation and rescue from your guilt and your shame, then turn, turn to His grace. Sin behind the sin. I want to finish this up here and we'll go on. Did you see the uh, confession? It's, uh, it's on page 7. This is a quote from Samuel where he says two things. Well, he says two different ways. Rebellion is like the sin of divination. He says rebellion is like the sin of divination. What's the sin behind the sin of your rebellion against God where you say, I'm going to do as I please with my body or my heart or my life? The sin behind the sin is divination. What's divination? Consulting a witch. When I consult myself for morality, I have claimed that I'm a God and I choose right and wrong. And I've told God I worship somebody else. Me! The scriptures are trying to teach you there's a sin behind your sin. There's neither a rebellion against grace like Chorazin and all those places as they rebelled against the presence of grace himself, Jesus, and his mighty works to save, right? Hmm. But I, I see Christ still reaching out to them and then finally becoming, giving the gracious invitation. For he had given us a grace for the grace for the sin behind the sin. He is also now giving us this wonderful, glorious, shining invitation. Come. Come. I love how come. I, I, sometimes I just picture him. It's such, a, it's such a transcendent picture of Christ on all the highways and byways of the world. Come, all you are here and heavy laden. Come, and I will give you rest. There's something very gentle, and he talks about himself being so gentle and lowly and sweet. And I, I remember um, when uh, when Tao and I were picking out our wedding invitations. You know, it's funny when you pick out a wedding invitation. The wedding invitation itself, itself tells you something about the wedding, doesn't it? It tells you how casual it's going to be sometimes, just the style. You know, if you get one in a, like an eggshell white with gold lettering, you know, it's going to be... You're probably going to be, it's going to be a late night wedding, whatever, something like that. You, just, you know, just based upon the style, the way, the way the envelope comes. I, I, I see this beautiful invitation from Jesus. And what I'm so, so, so touched by is not just the grace that says he loves sinners and welcomes. Not the grace that sends him to a cross to die for sinners. Not just his blood for sinners, but just his, his gracious attitude. You know, it's just like, we were talking about this last week. You know, the hookers liked hanging out with him. How, how do you, that, that, and I picture how do we become this sort of inviting, tender rest. I don't think many people think of the church that way. I don't think people, many people experience Christian community that way. Alex, did you notice this out? When we were, we were hanging out Wednesday. We, we, we meet every Wednesday and we meet for mutual encouragement and mutual discipleship. 
And this girl came up and started talking to us. She wouldn't stop talking. She was, like, she was lonely or something. And I kept thinking, why did she come up and talk to us? Because you, we're not exactly you know, welcoming kind of guys. There's nothing about your body language or my body language is telling people, hey, come on over and talk to me. I'm friendly. You know? Nothing about us says it. But we're sitting there talking about Jesus, and this girl is drawn. And I think, there's, I think it wasn't us. I think it was Jesus. My point is that there's something about Christ incandescent. We become the wedding invitation. You see, the style of this wedding. Look, didn't you love the style of this invitation today? Wasn't it wonderful? It, it, here's an invitation you won't read often, but it's so personal. Here's what my wife's and oh, we're all in. I'm the loud invitation. You know? The one that's the oversized card. I can't help it. I wish I wasn't like that. It's kind of embarrassing, but I got to go with what I got. And so, but I just see this wonder, and I, I, and I imagine, and I imagine, I just imagine, oh, no, 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 I don't imagine. What do you imagine it would be like for us? Well, what kind of place would it be like? What, like, what, what's, the, what's, this, what's, the, uh, what's the posture of the shoulders? How do people react when somebody really smelly comes in? I mean... I just think that we were talking about this, Scott, we were talking about this at the table at that, at that, at that um, wonderful seminar we went to about the kingdom. And that is, we'll know that we have true intimacy from Christ by the Holy Spirit by how the stranger feels when they come here. That will be a true measure. Because we're tempted to measure the validity of this community based upon how good we feel, right? The comfort, the ease, the, the friendliness, the, the smile. That's not enough. The true test of a Christian community filled with the Spirit is how the stranger and the weirdo and the wacko and the loser and the outcast feels like when they come in. They are the test. Will we pass that and be a true invitation? Um... This inviting Christ. I, I haven't even talked about election. But I want to I leave you with this. Um, for some reason in the 20th century, Christians really had the corner on bad art. And uh, we cornered the market. Nobody's taking it from us. And I'm talking about the stuff I used to see as a kid. I, I was, one of the ones I really liked was, uh, was, was a picture it's always kind of glossy, kind of romanticized. There's a guy, he's, he's, he's looking into the distance like this. There's a storm, he's got rain gear on, he's got a big, what's that wheel called? Uh, the steer boat. He's, and behind him is Jesus going like this. Over his shoulder. And on the bottom it says, Jesus is my captain or something like that. Anybody see these pictures? They're all over churches all over the country. One of the other ones too, one of the other ones is always in the pastor's study or near it. This one's a really pretty picture. It's, there's a lot of leaves. It's like a garden. And there's a, there's a door, an arched door, a door with an arch frame with like a really cute little window. You know, a little four-pane window, a little wrought iron. And at the bottom is a, is, is a, little, is a little line that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And of course, there's that Anglo, beautiful, long-haired Jesus knocking on the door. Saying, you know, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, that was used as an evangelistic tool. You've heard that before, haven't you? The idea that Christ is knocking. Christ is knocking. Invite him in. Come to Christ. 
That's, that's a beautiful way to... And if you don't know Jesus, come on in. Water's fine. Come on, now you can know Christ tonight, is my point. But the thing I love about Revelation is that was given to believers. That was given to a church. Remember Jesus, even when he's talking to Chorazin, and he's talking to people who are... Put the, you know, I was thinking about that weary and heavy laden thing. And I think I meet more weary and heavy laden people in the church than I do outside of it. And I see Jesus, I imagine Jesus. That revelation passage was for Chris Bruss. We can have the hope of a deeper intimacy with Christ. I love the idea that Christ is inv inviting you to deeper intimacy with him because he loves you. Because he likes you. He likes you. You're good company to him. That blows me away, by the way. I can't imagine how I'm good company to anybody, let alone my Savior. Praise him. I want you to hear anew an invitation to deeper intimacy with Jesus. A deeper knowledge, a deeper, a deeper grace. It can be yours. Remember, Jesus says, I give this away, guys. I give it away. Come on down and get it. <sighs> Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for hiding things from people who think they're so smart. And thanks for revealing your truth to foolish people like me. I praise you and I thank you. I really don't understand your grace very well, Father. I ask to understand it better. I ask for your tender love, your tender healing for, for, for some wounded, wounded believers tonight. I pray they, I, I ask that, 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 that some folks tonight would just really hear again. Yeah, there have been a lot of places. There's been a lot of coldness in their hearts and everything. But here you are. Here you are inviting. And how sweet it is that, that we can be a part of that invitation even when we know you. I ask for the work of the Holy Spirit, Father. Even as we come to a communion, Lord, we're coming because we're hearing you cry out. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. This is our altar call, Father. We're thankful for it. Help us to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.